Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are broadcasting today via remote access so that in light of the COVID-19 health emergency, we can maintain our social distancing and still bring you today's show. Please be patient if we experience any technical glitches. We hope that everyone listening is safe and healthy and doing what they can to protect themselves and our communities during this health emergency. Wealth Matters is presented to you by Gaslowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel. And today our topic is, it's complicated, estate planning for blended families. Now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today, Henry Bowden Jr., partner with the Bowden Law Firm, and Brooke French, partner with Kessler and Solomiani. Uh, and let me just start um, by having each of you uh, tell the audience uh, who you are. So Henry, why don't you uh, take a second and do that? Uh, Adam, I'm, as you said, Henry Bowden. I am practicing uh, in the uh, firm of Bowden, the Bowden Law Firm. I'm in downtown Atlanta. I've been uh, strictly doing estate planning and estate administration for about 45 years now. And Brooke, how about you? Good morning. I'm Brooke French. I'm a partner with Kessler and Solomiani, and I have been practicing family law for almost 18 years. And so, uh, Brooke, why don't we start with you? Because um, planning for blended families has got to start with somebody actually getting a divorce, and uh, that's where you you come in. Uh, how, how much estate planning actually gets discussed in the process of, uh, of doing a divorce? Unfortunately, very little. And I think that's where you and Craig come in often and... Um, you know, we were talking before the show that oftentimes the estate planner comes in very late in the process and uh, we mention it very late saying, oh, hey, by the way, you know, you should get your will redone. And as family law lawyers, we need to start doing that more towards the beginning to plan for whether you're going to have another family or you're going to have children in the future. That's something that folks who are getting a divorce really need to think about uh, going forward. Let me switch that to to Henry. So how many people are hiring you when they're getting a divorce proactive? And I say that because with, with, I'm sure, some notable exception, when you get a divorce, you don't yet have your new spouse or your new family yet. Some probably do, but but most don't. So from my perspective, this is when you're going to be the most fair, certainly to your children. So so, uh, Henry, how often are you being retained by divorcing couples to be thinking about the future and what could happen? Unfortunately, Craig, uh, Brooke is correct. Uh, I have never in my practice been consulted in advance by a family law lawyer regarding what should this couple be doing in connection with their divorce as far as uh, asset uh, uh, splits, uh, tax planning, planning for children, Uh, Now, I do have clients of my own who are getting a divorce, and I do discuss with them estate planning in connection with their divorce. Uh, But as far as referrals from uh, family law lawyers about uh, come and help my clients uh, figure this out from an estate planning standpoint, zero. And I wish it were more because I think we could solve a lot of problems in advance by getting involved at the beginning. Should divorce attorneys, as, as a matter of course, bring estate planning attorneys into the process at some point before you finalize? So I know a lot of the divorce revolves around how we're going to divide assets, but also how 
are we going to provide life insurance to cover certain things? Are we going to divide up uh, assets uh, with the kids, even though the parents are getting divorced? So should it be a part of the divorce process? Well, it is to that extent. So if there are minor children or sometimes even children in the age of majority who are in college, we do provide life insurance uh, for those children to provide for child support, to provide for the necessities, health insurance, those types of things. So that's dealt with. But if you either don't have children or if your children are over the age of 18 or have graduated from college and they're in their 30s, then there's no life insurance requirement then. So if you have adult children and then you remarry and your children are older, then there's no requirement that there's anything for those children um, once you've already divorced. May I, may I add, Adam, that uh, there are tax planning opportunities at the beginning of a divorce that are not there after the couple have become divorced. Uh, the marital deduction obviously is, is taken away once the divorce occurs. Uh, uh, each of us has a, a, an exemption from a state and gift tax, uh, and our exemptions are portable between spouses. But if you're no longer married, that portability, and when I say portable between spouses, I mean that if, if I make a gift to my children and my wife uh, 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 agrees to the gift, uh, half of the gift is made by me and half of the gift is made by my, my wife, or vice versa, if the wife makes the gift and the husband goes along with it. Uh, and so the, uh, um, the, the ability to do some tax planning while the couple is still married uh, is pretty important. And I don't see that coming up at all or very, I don't see it coming up very often. And I wanna ask the, the inverse. So at Gaslight Frankel, where we obviously deal with the disputes, we see the opposite, estate planning that is not, that is significantly changed. When you do estate planning as a married couple and have children, you're working together as a unit. And, and a lot of things are not are counterintuitive. You may do one thing that actually hurts you, but it's good tax-wise or good for the kids. When you're getting a divorce, the units separate and your interests kind of go away. And, and so you need your, your existing estate planning sometimes is gone, particularly on, on, on what I would call non what I were called non-probate, things like beneficiaries and insurance beneficiaries and, and joint bank accounts. So, so Henry. What are the areas that you see kind of like the biggest problems you have that for couples that get divorced and later have problems with their estate planning? What are the problems you, you, you think you're seeing? Well, I wrote to, a letter to myself last evening about this. There, there are no right or wrong answers in, in relation to planning for the blended family, which is what you're talking about. Uh, that being said, um, uh, each client needs to determine uh, in her or his mind what obligations or desires she or he has with respect to each set of beneficiaries, that being maybe the children by a first marriage, spouse, uh, second spouse, maybe children by your second spouse. In other words, what, 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 are, what are her or his obligations to each set of these beneficiaries in, in his, her or his mind? Uh, and should I fulfill those obligations with life insurance, IRA, securities, home, what, what, how should I fulfill those obligations? And so uh, every situation is different. And so there are no right or wrong answers, but this is, uh, this is the, the approach that an estate planner should take in my, in my view. A lot of times we see, um, you know, after uh, someone has, has died, um, obligations that they committed to in their, in their divorce from their first spouse uh, are not uh, met in their estate plan. And so you end up in, in litigation over what 
they'd agreed to in, in a divorce settlement, but but didn't actually uh, accomplish. Um, is, is this a problem that you're seeing in, in terms of the estate plan? I mean, do you look at what the divorce uh, decree should have said, or do you actually think about how the divorce decree ought to be laid out and planned? Adam, in my engagement letter, I've asked the client to supply me with any relevant uh, documents, such as a divorce decree from a prior marriage, a prenuptial agreement, if there is one. And one of the first items in the wills that I prepare in such cases is uh, uh, I got a divorce from my spouse uh, in such and such a year, and there is a divorce or there's a settlement agreement in connection with that divorce. And I direct the executor to review the settlement agreement and to fulfill any obligations that I may have under that agreement or the prenuptial agreement. So, uh, so, so, Brooke, I do like to see these uh, agreements when I'm doing estate planning so that I can refer to them in the will and make sure that the executor knows that there may be insurance obligations or other obligations which uh, need to be fulfilled. No, Brooke, let me, let me go to you. So I think that's great, Henry, because I, I don't see that. One of the problems might be, though, that when the, the spouse dies 30, 40, 50 years later, there's not enough money in the probate estate to fulfill the obligations that were set out that they probably intended to do, um, but they don't. They didn't buy the insurance or they spent all of the money and they lost it in the market or it was a bad real estate market or whatever. When you're at the divorce uh, mediation or discussion phase, do you talk about funding of uh, future obligations so that there is actually a mechanism in place to guarantee that the estate planning could be carried out or are clients reluctant to talk about that? So a lot of our clients are reluctant to talk about that because what we're doing at that point is often triaging the the issues at hand. And it is so hard for our clients to think five minutes from now, let alone five months, five years, 50 years down the line. And so if there are minor children, they can think that far in advance um, because they're thinking about, well, how am I going to fund child support? How am I going to fund health insurance? But they rarely think that far in advance. And so I tell my clients to immediately talk to an estate planning attorney because one, they need to change their documents because if they had a will, they need to change that will because that will probably said, I want everything to go to my spouse and then everything to go to my children. And we need to change that immediately in addition to their 401k beneficiaries and all their other beneficiaries. Um, they they want to make sure they have something in place that says, I don't want it to go to this person anymore because we got a divorce. Um, but they need to think about the future in terms of how they're going to fund things for their children now that they've gotten a divorce because their financial situation may have changed. They may be going out into the workforce for the first time, or they may have significantly more obligations to their wife and or their ex-wife and children now that they have an alimony payment, and they may not be able to fulfill those obligations. So I think a lot changes a lot does change when you have a divorce and you need to think about those things and one, how you're going to fund your estate and two, what you want that to look like. And that's why you need to talk to someone like Henry, whether it's concurrently or shortly thereafter. I think a lot of our clients are so overwhelmed that if you tell them that they have to talk to somebody else during the process, that often upsets that very delicate balance. And so there are some clients that can handle it, um, but there are others who just can't. And so um, we just have to balance that apple cart so delicately um, when we're doing this. Do you, do you ever see um, 
uh, in divorce discussions, uh, um, uh, talk about uh, treating the kids fairly after the, uh, the marriage has ended? You know, if, you, if, they're, if they're kids from multiple marriages, you know, sometimes it's, it's not a second marriage, it's a third marriage or fourth marriage. And there are kids from multiple marriages, there are, there are stepkids. Is there any discussion in the divorce process? I know there is in the planning process. I'll get to that in a second. But how do you deal with that in divorce? There is, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a few cases now where there's a child from a, a, a prior relationship then there are children that the couple had together and then that couple divorces and the the parent took that first child under his or her wing that is not their biological child and continues to provide for that child even though there's no obligation to do so and um that causes some angst or or some discord when that person stops providing for that child because there's no there's no legal obligation to do so and so we have a lot of that come up, um, particularly when that child is no longer under the age of 18. Um, and so the, 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 the fairness, what is fair, right? And uh, we talked about this the other day that sometimes you have to think about, well, what is the age of the child? If you have a child that's six and you have a child that's 26, well, the 26-year-old has already gone through college. The 26-year-old may have already gone through grad school. The six-year-old is going to need a lot more from you financially than a 26-year-old. So what you would need to provide financially for a six-year-old versus 26 is very different. And so it may be fair to provide more financially for a six-year-old than it would be for a 26-year-old because that, that child just needs more from you financially. And so rather than giving them each hypothetically $50,000, you might have to proportionally give more to the six-year-old versus the 26-year-old. Henry, how do, you, how do you deal with this when you're dealing with families who have, uh, you know, kids from a number of different families uh, and now, you know, a new spouse that they have to also take care of in their state plan? Well, Adam, I, uh, uh, I have a rule that I, it's not a hundred percent rule, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not, it's not a not never rule, but it's a, as often as I can. And that is, I want to make sure that you provide for each set of beneficiaries uh, with separate assets, if possible. I think it is a terrific mistake for an estate planner to plan to provide for, say, uh, her spouse or his spouse uh, with a trust that benefits the spouse for life and then goes to the children of the former marriage uh, after the spouse dies. Uh, uh, likewise, it's a mistake to have the a spouse get the house in a life estate with the house going to the children by the former marriage when she, when he or she dies, or you you are setting up a recipe for conflict when you do that. And so my rule of thumb would be to have the client determine what assets should go to the spouse, what assets should go to the children by the prior marriage, and let them each have their own assets without sharing in any common assets. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Brooke French, partner with Kessler and Solomiani, and Henry Bowden, partner with the Bowden Law Firm. And the topic today is, it's complicated, estate planning for blended families. Henry, let's follow up on what you just said, because I want our listeners to hear what you just said use separate assets to avoid future conflict. I think that is so important. 
but, but talk to our clients what some separate assets are. I see, as an example, that if you do a 401k and you forget to change the beneficiary, it's, it, it automatically terminates because you got divorced, but not true necessarily with life insurance or bank accounts or anything else. How do you make sure that you don't, that those separate assets are not dissipated and, and go away before you die? What do you need to do to, to actually use those separate assets? Well, I can't, uh, I, I, I have very little control over whether the assets are dissipated between the time I do the planning and the time the client passes away. But I do believe that the client needs to have a roadmap regarding what assets are intended to go to which spouse, to, to the spouse and to the children. And uh, you're right, I believe strongly that uh, you can set up, for example, uh, in a second marriage situation, most of the time the, 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 the home is not a home that the children under the first marriage grew up in. And there's no reason to leave that home to the children, leave it to the second spouse. She, he or she is gonna to wanna to live there for the rest of her or his lifetime, I, I believe. So that, that, that's just an example of IRA. Uh, uh, I think I have, there are some tax issues regarding some of these assets. You leave the IRA to your spouse, the spouse can stretch out the income receipt of that IRA for a longer period of time, possibly, than your children by a prior marriage can. So there are just so many issues, Craig, to think about. But uh, we're not going to try to answer all those issues this morning. But it's just important for clients to know that there are issues that need to be discussed with their estate planning attorney and probably with their family law attorney when they're uh, splitting up. Let me, let me follow up on that. And you talked about trying to avoid conflict by using separate assets. Another big issue we see is who is chosen to be the executor or trustee or some other fiduciary. Do you have any thoughts on, on who should be a fiduciary when you have a blended marriage, whether it be the first, second marriage or fifth marriage? Uh, uh, a, a, a little plan that I try to do sometimes is to have the uh, will provide for one set of these beneficiaries, and then the assets that go outside the will, like life insurance or retirement plan assets, go to the other set of beneficiaries. And if that works out, Craig, then I can have, let's say that the will assets go to the children, then I can have one of the children serve as executor of the will and have these other assets go to the spouse. That way the spouse doesn't have to wait for the will to be probated, the assets to be evaluated as a state tax return to be filed, uh, she or he can receive the life insurance, can receive the IRA, and the children can be executors and trustees under the will. But a lot of times that doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, like I've just said, it's probably better to have an independent third party serve as executor to be a kind of a referee between the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the competing interests of the spouse versus the children by a prior marriage. Does, uh, does the amount of assets in the estate affect uh, how you are structuring these uh, distributions? Because if, if the assets are not sufficient to adequately provide for the new spouse, then it is unlikely that you're going to be leaving a lot of assets to children from a previous marriage if you need to take care of your, of your new spouse. Uh, how do you deal with situations like that? Well, I think it's important for the client to understand exactly what's going to go in each direction. And if there's not enough, we need to... Uh, and and I'm not, I'm not in the business of selling life insurance, for example, Adam, but if, if a client is insurable and realizes that she or he doesn't have enough assets to pass to one group or another, maybe you go out and buy a, a, a term life insurance policy to cover whatever you think the shortfall would be. I, that's just an example of what you can do. Brooke, let me ask a follow-up with you on that. Are you, are, 
it seems to me when you're getting a divorce, the access to, to resources is limited. You may be young. Are your clients talking about how in the world am I going to figure out how to do this? Are they talking about those kinds of things? Or are they just not capable? No, they are. I mean, they think about how am I going to recover from this economic loss? And because divorce is an economic loss, it costs whether you have $100 million or $100, you you face an economic loss when you get a divorce. And it takes a while to recover from that because now you have two households. So you have to pay two light bills, two gas bills. You know, it just it costs money to get divorced. And so it takes a while to recover from that. And then there's a snowball effect of, well, now how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for that? And then there's the cost of the children if you have children. And how am I going to save for retirement if you are, you know, 50 or you're starting a new job um, at the age of 50 and you hadn't worked? So there are so many things that people are thinking about. How am I going to save for retirement? How am I going to buy a house? How am I going to pay for my kids' college now that I'm responsible for paying for college? There are just so many things that they're thinking about that, as I mentioned before, that's this delicate balance that we have to talk about with them in terms of, well, when do we start talking about estate planning? Is it too much? Is it too little? And so I mention it, um, but it's, are they ready to receive the information? Are they ready to think about, you know, end of life? Because obviously at some point we're all going to pass away, but it's at what point is our client ready to hear that information and ready to plan for the future and think about what to do for their children? Um, you know, some people are, are, are never ready to talk about that and just don't plan for it ever. But particularly divorced clients need to think about it because they don't have that spouse that it would potentially automatically pass to. And it may be a more complicated situation where they have a new spouse, um, they have subsequent children, there's a blended family where who's making the decisions for them? Is it their new spouse or is it their children? Is it their adult children? Um, who makes those decisions? And those are all things that require communication between the families to avoid, frankly, coming to see you and Adam. Um, if they have these conversations, then they're, then it avoids a lot of litigation in the future for their families. And that's what people need to, to, to be doing. They're difficult conversations for sure, um, but they need to have these conversations. We've seen a lot of cases recently where... Um... The issue is the power of attorney for healthcare, where where dad's in a, in a second marriage, dad is uh, elderly, and there's a dispute between uh, the kids from the first marriage and the new spouse as to who should make healthcare decisions. There's always some complaint that the that the spouse is not taking care of the uh, the parent, and they want to step in and be able to do it. Is this uh, an issue that you see a lot of, Henry, when you're doing powers of attorney for people? All the time uh, on a healthcare directive, uh, you are able to name a healthcare agent under Georgia law. And uh, the issue in a second marriage situation is, should the healthcare agent be the second spouse or should it be one or more of the children by the first marriage? And uh, what it should not be, Adam, is a combination of that group unless everybody gets along famously. Uh, And so uh, the first thing I do is to ask the spouse, do you want to have the healthcare, do you want to be the healthcare agent? Many times when you ask the spouse that question, She or he will say, no, I don't want to make a decision about unplugging my husband or wife 
if, if I've got, if he or she's got children by prior marriage, that ought to be their decision and I want to be left out of it. And that takes care of the problem. Uh, but often too, they say, no, um, um, I've been married for 35 years to, I have a situation right now where the person said, I've been married longer to my second spouse than I was to my first spouse. And I certainly want my, my second spouse who's with me all the time to be making these decisions. So you've got to take into account how long you've been married. Does the second spouse want to be the healthcare agent? Uh, and, and that sort of thing. One of the things that I do, uh, and I'll be quick here, is to, if you do name the, the uh, spouse as the healthcare agent, there's a provision in, in one of the paragraphs of the healthcare directive under Georgia law for additional statements. And I direct the healthcare agent to consult with the children by the first marriage regarding all decisions to be made under the healthcare directive. I provide that the spouse makes the final decision, but she or he is required to consult with the children regarding these decisions. And that, that at least brings everybody to the table. When you, when, you, when you decide to have children be the healthcare directive, we're seeing even in first marriages, but certainly with blended marriages with children from different spouses, what if they disagree? I mean, how do you figure out who wins? Ignore the spouse and say, we're gonna do for the children for healthcare or even for a financial power of attorney. How do you, if you can, uh, plan for children's conflict? Craig, that's a, uh, it's a difficult way to plan for it. And I just generally speaking provide, and I know this sounds like a superficial answer, uh, that the children jointly will make a decision regarding health care. And they've just got to come together on this issue. They just got to do it. Uh, I have a situation that occurred in my practice a couple of years ago where one child was given the healthcare agency and decided that uh, she wanted to do this for a dad who was at the ICU at uh, one of the hospitals in Atlanta. And the other children were uh, in, in disagreement about it. And, and, and so that uh, uh, it did come up. But I, where I can do it, I, I say you children need to make a decision jointly about whether to keep mom alive, whether to have her go into hospice, that sort of thing. I know that's a, uh, it's difficult and, 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 and uh, can't work out in every situation, but I let everybody know in advance, this is what's going to, and I ask them, do your children get along? And if they say yes, and I make them, I make them all the co-healthcare agents. Now, I don't do that on a financial power of attorney. I think that's a mistake. But on the healthcare agency thing, I believe that the children as a group need to be there. If, if one child is given that power and another child is left out of the mix, Craig, that could that could cause a rift in the family for years. When they tell you they all get along, do you generally believe them? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> try to. That's right. That's a good question. I, I can't answer that. Uh, when, when you make them all power turn, do you at least make it a majority rule so that they, they've, they've got to do it together, but they don't have to be unanimous? You mean on a financial power of attorney? Either financial or health care. On my financial power of attorney, I, I would normally uh, have, if the children are going to be the agents, uh, I would say, uh, uh, let's say that there are two children. That, first of all, I look at geographical proximity. A power of attorney needs to have, uh, I mean, a, a, a client needs to have a power of attorney who's fairly close to buy, to pay bills, to deal with whatever needs may come up. Secondly, uh, everybody's not always available. So if I name you and Craig as my powers of attorney, I would say that you are able to act jointly or independently so that either of you can help uh, with my uh, financial aspect. You know, I did this for my own dad when he was uh, unable to manage his affairs. My sister and I did it and she handled some aspects of the power of attorney and I handled others and, and it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go back and just talk about an issue we, we touched on before, which is if you've got 
you know, if you've gotten divorced, you've lost half your assets, give or take a little bit. Um, and then when it comes to setting up your own estate plan, uh, it is at that point harder to um, uh, divide your assets among your, your new spouse and your children from previous marriage or children from the, the current marriage, uh, because now you're dealing with, with trying to divide up half of what you used to have. And so a lot of times people think that there's not enough assets for me to do anything but make sure my spouse is taken care of. Uh, in those situations, you know, we used to do, uh, used to use a lot of uh, trusts so the spouse would get the assets for life and then the assets would go to children uh, uh, at the death. But um, is, is that still the, the plan that you generally use? And if so, how do, you, how do you deal with situations where the spouse may be not that much older than the, uh, the kids? So the kids may never see the remainder. And I do want to point out before you answer that statistically, if you get a divorce, um, you're going to remarry. Uh, the statistics are, are shocking, but it's like over 75% of women and like 85% of men will remarry if they get a divorce. So it's going to be a problem. But uh, Adam, I, I, I said before, and I'm going to say again, unless uh, I am required to do it by the client, I very rarely would have the client set up a trust for a second spouse for uh, his or her lifetime benefit and then have the remainder of the trust go to the children by the prior marriage. Uh, the, uh, the, the issues for conflict are uh, amazing. Who's going to be the trustee? Uh, do we pay the second spouse the income from the trust? Uh, what about encroachments? Should the second spouse use his or her own assets for some of his or her expenses versus getting money out of the trust? Uh, uh, should the, uh, what should be the investments in the, in the trust? Should they be growth investments or income investments? Every issue that comes up in setting up a trust for a second spouse with remainder to the children by the first marriage are, are, are ripe with conflict, and I just would hardly ever do it. That being said, last Wednesday, Adam, I probated a will in Fulton County, and you can go down and look at it. It gives the second spouse a trust for life, remainder to the three adult children. And I asked the children about it because I did this will for this guy. They said, look, we love our father's second wife. He's been married to her longer than he was to our mother, and she's 91 anyway, and is no problem. But uh, I, that, that's the only time that I've done that that I can remember in my, in my career. It's just not a good plan. Brooke, I want to shift back to you. So, so uh, Henry has really talked about issues that we face all the time, particularly because society is aging, people are living longer, and which not only creates more problems with long-term health care, it also means that you use up a lot of your assets prior to your death. So it's often a surprise to the survivors. When you're talking in divorce and talking to your clients, do you mention or talk about the fact you really do need to be planning for a power of attorney or health care, even if you don't do it the second? You know, these are things you need to think about, or is this it's just too hard to do? So typically when I um, end someone's case, I send them sort of a summary email and I say, these are the things that you need to be thinking about. Number one, if you have a 401k, you need to immediately change your beneficiary. Number two, if you have a will, um, this is, you know, you need to call someone and you need to have your will changed immediately before you change your will. And I realize this may not hold up in court, but you need to send an email to anybody and everybody and say, look, I just divorced so-and-so. I do not want so-and-so to inherit anything from my will. I'm in the process of getting a new will. And then I also, you know, and I want so-and-so to inherit all my stuff, my kids or whomever. 
I also tell them to say, look, I have a power of attorney over my healthcare. I have a power of attorney over my finances. Um, it used to be my husband or my wife. I just got divorced on the state. I don't want them to do it. So I send them a whole email telling them, these are the things that you need to change immediately. These are the things that you need to be thinking about for the future. You know, you need to think about who's going to be making your healthcare decisions. You need to think about who's going to be making your financial decisions. If you have an issue, you know, if you both had a, um, funeral, uh, a burial plot together, you know, those are the, and so I send them this summary email telling them all these things that they need to be thinking about. Do they listen to me? I don't know, but at least I tell them, these are the things that you need to think about so that they have it on their horizon, that they, that those are things that they need to consider dealing with. Do you, do you talk to them about doing some of those things even before they're divorced? I mean, people die in the middle of divorces all the time. We see those cases a lot where someone who wasn't supposed to inherit inherits because they weren't divorced yet. Correct. That does happen. And if they die during the middle of the divorce, then, then there's nothing, then there is no divorce. So the things stay with that person. So, so um, can, they, can they do that kind of planning while they're still married, but in the process of divorce, can they do new powers of attorney at that point? Can they do a new will at that point? Or at least something yeah. to tie them over. You know, I had that case where um, the woman, um, my, my client, um, was very ill. She had um, s- several illnesses um, where she was chronically in the hospital and the power of attorney, I'm sorry, the healthcare proxy that was um, on file at the hospital said that her husband was going to be making decisions and that was very scary for her. And so we had to get that changed in the middle of the case to say that it would be her sisters making the decisions, not her husband. And so we've certainly had to address that in the middle of the case to have that um, so that he was not making decisions rather than her. So that's certainly something that we address, but frankly, it's not something that we address we dress it acutely, not systematically. May I interject something that uh, Brooke might want to add to her memo or her list? And this is a professional issue between attorneys, but uh, it's very important for uh, the family law attorney to understand that the estate planning attorney may have been representing the couple as a couple uh, up until they get uh, into a divorce mode. And then the estate planning attorney probably cannot continue to represent the couple as a couple or either one of them, unless there is a full disclosure of uh, the situation. And uh, so uh, uh, clients need to understand that they just may not be able to go back to the lawyer that handled their estate planning uh, before they were separated or were thinking about getting a divorce. I have a situation right now where this couple called me the other day, I've been representing them for about five or 10 years. And uh, I was ready to talk about a new will for them. And they said, we're going to get a divorce later this year, but we want you to continue to handle both of our wills. And so I sent them a very lengthy letter indicating what pitfalls there were and, and I would need their consents and so forth. But otherwise, I was going to have to send them to two new attorneys because I couldn't uh, continue to represent them. So it's very important for folks who are contemplating this to understand that the longstanding family lawyer may not be able to continue to, to be their family lawyer if they're no longer a family. I do tell them that and tell and advise them strongly, look, whatever relationship you had with that person, um, it is in your best interest to get a new lawyer. Um, it is your best interest to get a new CPA because that person may inadvertently say something or, <clears throat> you know, do something um, and not realize it. 
say something to you or say something to the other person, oh, I found out that so-and-so got a new job and that could trigger a modification of child support. Or, oh, I heard that so-and-so moved to such-and-such -such with her husband and that triggers, you know, a modification of parenting time. And, you know, it just, there is, there is no reason to stay with that person. I understand it, but it is just cleaner and safer for you to move to a new lawyer for your will, move to a new CPA. Um, and I understand the relationship, but that is just what's best for you now that you're getting divorced. So we're, we're nearing the end of our show. So I told you in advance, I was going to ask for a success or a horror story. And Brooke, I'm going to let you go first. So whatever you do, Henry, you got to do the opposite. So tell us a success or a horror story of, of where you've approached, you've had a blended, you've, you've gone to a client has gone through a divorce. They now have a blended family with a new spouse and, and perhaps additional children. Tell us one of those occasions where they did the right thing, or tell us one of those occasions where they did the wrong thing. Well, frankly, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not a, a, client story. It's a, it's a personal story where, um, my parents are divorced and my dad is, uh, living with his new wife. And what's been great for us is the communication in that both of my parents have sent lists of who all their doctors are, who all their accounts are with, sent me their wills. I know who all the power of attorney, I mean, I'm power of attorney for a lot of things, but I know where all that information is. And I know who my dad's wife's uh, power of attorney is. I'm in contact with her because my parents are in their 70s. I think that's the best thing that you can do for your kids is just have communication with them about um, who your doctors are, who the medication that you're on, and just give information. I realize that's a tough discussion to have, but I think that's a, a good discussion to have so that you can have all that information. So you've obviously been listening to the many speeches that Adam gives where he says communication will solve every problem. So Henry, I'm going to let you choose. Tell us a success or, or a, a lack of success story. Craig, I don't have one story, but I do, I, I, I do find that if you address the estate planning client in the manner that I have suggested, where you are asking that client to consider what assets he or she has. Uh, what's the right thing to do for your older children? Like you said, as Brooke said, the 26-year-old that's been through college versus the six-year-old that hadn't even started yet in school. When you get the client to be thinking about those issues from the beginning, uh, then you can usually solve the problem. Uh, but um, uh, 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 it's if you, if you don't know the right questions to ask or to pose to the client, you're never going to get uh, the right answers, in my opinion. And so that's so important to understand how to approach these client interviews. Before we finish up, let me, let me get each of you to tell our audience how they can get in contact with you if they so choose. Um, Henry, do you want to start? Yes, uh, Adam, I am not a social media guy, uh, but I do have a, uh, a law firm telephone number. <laughs> and uh, that number is 404-941-941. One three seven zero, and uh, and I make my own appointments. All right, and Brooke. The best way to get in touch with me is email, and that email can be found at the French for Brooke French 
at ksfamilylaw.com, and that's K for Kessler, S for Solomiani, familylaw.com. And you can also go to our website at www.ksfamilylaw.com. As we wrap up our show today, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gasowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gasowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Brooke French, a partner with Kessler and Solomiani, and Henry Bowden, a partner and founder of the Bowden Law Firm. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X.